You're listening to Outlaws and Gunslingers, the only podcast covering all of America's infamous criminals, from the Wild West to the Mafia, all the way up to the ruthless street gangs of today. Brought to you exclusively by the Creative Control Network. Here are your hosts, the Mouthy Michiganders, Bang and Dang. Welcome back to Outlaws and Gunslingers. Bang and Dang here, and we are on to another set of outlaws. Maybe they'll be gunslingers. I don't even know because I've never even heard of the story. It's the Aguila. What was it? Aguila? Aguila. Aguila. Aguila Blanca. Aguila. Aguila. Aguila Blanca, which means white eagle in uh, English. Inglesio is a um, Wells Fargo heist in West Hartford, Connecticut. Uh, was the name given by the Los Macheteros, which was a guerrilla group seeking Puerto Rican independence from the United States um, on September 12, 1983, which was a day that coincided with the birth date of Puerto Rican nationalist Dr. Pedro Albizu Campos. Uh, they netted more than $7 million, which is $18 million in today's money. And this is only in 1983, so it doubled. Doubled. Uh, at the time of the robbery, it was the largest cast heist in U.S. history, Ooh, which, uh, you know, if you tuned in for the Brinks, Great Brinks robbery, that was the largest. So we just keep up in the game here with the largest here in the game. Um, there's a few I was looking at in the 90s today. It's all in the same year. And they were all like over 18 million robbing just the bank truck, not even the banks. All right. Just crazy. So uh, we'll get to those, obviously. But. If you guys want to hear this podcast and see this podcast in video, unedited, and uh, maybe, who knows, <laughs> if it even makes it to video. But uh, uh, Patreon.com forward slash bang dang, where you get this show, our Monday Night Watch Along show, our Lee and Corey show, which uh, we're actually going to record a episode right after this one for our monthly episode of that, and our newest show, Battles of the American Civil War, Ooh. where we are... Um, Approaching our second episode of Battle of Fort Sumter. So that's uh, available wherever you get your podcasts. Obviously, we're going to cover the Civil War battles from uh, chronological order, first to last. And you can get all those shows video and unedited on patreon.com forward slash bang dang. Also, go to youtube.com. Look look up bang dang network on YouTube and you'll see uh, show clips, possibly some video uh, clips of what you can uh, get on Patreon as well. So check it out. If you want to subscribe, subscribe, Patreon, patreon.com forward slash bang dang. Wells Fargo Depot, September 12, 1983, is robbed by the Aguila Blanca. Oh, it was named after somebody named Jose Maldonado Roman. Roman, which means white eagle in English, obviously. The uh, specific cell responsible for for it was known as Los Tainos. Tainos? Tainos. 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 T-A-I-N-O-S, according to the Machateros. <laughs> Terrible with, <laughs> with words. Uh, part of the money was given to the poor communities of Puerto Rico to fund education, food, housing, clothing, and toys for children. But according to prosecutors, the money was used to finance the uh, movement. Wells Fargo used to store a large amount of money in its depot at Colboro Industrial Park in West Hartford, exploiting a lack of public awareness about it and the city's industrial nature to assure its security to keep as much as $30 million at the site. Wow. Uh, the corporation employed individuals at minimum wage, hoping to offset losses caused by an increase in competition. Hey, man, I know we got 30 millions in here, but you guys are getting 375 an hour. <laughs> However, how it's mostly attracted employees with little to no experience. Yeah. Obviously, uh, this branch was managed by Jim McKeon, who took the job after only five months of guard duty. Oh, there's a guard. Jeez, dude. <laughs> this lack of experience manifested itself in his management of the delivery routes and assets where he granted liberty beyond the rule book to his subordinates for the sake of completing the task with the resources available. McKeon employed 25-year-old Victor Manuel Gerana as his second-in-command, which both starting their employment with the company with only a month of difference. Hmm. We well, see where this is headed, guys, already. Wow. Sorry to disaster. Among his co-workers, Gerana gained a reputation as a stoic individual distancing his personal life from most but his workload earned him one of the vaults keys i would uh say so since he's second in command right you didn't have to have a key 
Right. Increasingly frustrated by a part-time job, Karina <laughs> was sued for the child support of two daughters and lacked any means of transportation when he became engaged to his then-girlfriend, Liza Soto. On August 29, 1983, he rented a Malibu at a non-credit locale named Ugly Duckling Rent-A-Car. Oh. oh, dude, you know those guys are selling a bunch of lemons. <laughs> <laughs> and brought it to Wells Fargo Depot as a test to see if McKeon's laxity would allow it to be parked inside the delivery van area adjacent to the vault by claiming that it was borrowed from a friend who would be mad. She's never ending sentence. No. <laughs> a friend who would be mad if it was damaged by vandals and thieves that frequent in the area, wow. despite being a direct violation of company rules. So really? this dude's second in command challenging his, uh, his boss. He's like, let's see if I can get away with this. Like, yeah. Whatever, man. Having accomplished his goal, Gadana completed his schedule as usual and finished the workday without incidents. He requested a full-size vehicle from the same locale on Friday, 9th of September, 1983, this time in 1978, Mercury Marquis, and received a clearance from its manager to keep it throughout the weekend, since there was no guarantee that a vehicle of that size would be available for the start of the following week. Huh. Hmm. However, However, this plan suffered a setback when this vehicle failed and the the lessee, the lessee replaced it with a 1973 Buick Saber. <laughs> hmm. It went from a, a Big old Mercury Grand Marquis to I'm uh, sure a Saber wasn't small in the '73 though. '73 Lesaber, yeah, I don't know if it was as good as the Marquis though, but I guess. 12th September 1983, four days after his planned wedding, Garanna drove the rented car and and after arriving at about 11 a.m., discovered that he and a coworker Tim Gerard were locked out of the depot. Hmm. After being called, McKeon arrived along another employee, Bob Shawukiks. Shawokis. 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 And they opened the door for them. So why was he locked out? Right. Gran requested <laughs> and received permission to park the LeSabre in Bay 5 of the loading dock. This prompted a similar request by Gerard, who parked his in the immediate Bay 4. These were just using the loading dock. Let's park our cars here. Uh, both then took a route between West Hartford and Bridgeport, leaving McKeon short, shorthanded of guard. Oh, jeez. The manager recruited Shawokis. Shawokis who was not legally allowed to carry a gun as his only companion in a route that took them to West Springfield and emptied the depot's vault in the oh, vehicle no. in the vehicle carrying both. Uh, however, however, McKeon dropped Shawokas in the return trip and drove the loaded van to the depot by himself. Oh, no. Idiot. No. What the hell? Who's put, who, who put this guy in charge? <laughs> Holy hell. Once there, the manager decided to leave the van loaded, parked in the loading dock, and waited for the other truck to arrive with the second key of the set required to open the vault. Once Garana's van arrived, Gerard moved his car out of Bay 4, leaving only Garana's car and Wells Fargo's vans inside. McKeon, in a haste due to previous commitment, explained to Garana that funds from West Springfield were still in the van as the latter began unloading money bags into the vault by himself. Oh, jeez. The plan suffered another setback when Gerard stayed behind instead of leaving as usual after this task was completed. Unable to reach his house due to construction and unaware of alternate routes. How are you unaware of alternate <laughs> right. routes to your house? <laughs> <laughs> McKeon volunteered to drive him home after counting the second van, and Gerard went to sleep. Meanwhile, who are these people? Right. <laughs> like, while the manager was dealing with the relevant bureaucracy, Carvana told him <laughs> that the 38 gun was falling off his holster. Oh, no. Originally borrowed by Carvana himself. And shortly afterwards, used this as a distraction to extract the weapon from the broken holder. Oh, no. So, wait, Grana is the one that's uh, doing this? Uh, maybe. Huh. Wow. Well, held at gunpoint. Oh, yeah, I guess McKeon so. chose to follow orders while Gerard assumed that it was a joke and did not realize it was serious initially. He was like, you guys quit playing around, which prevented him from drawing his weapon fast enough to uh, react in time. So, huh. he's like, it's a joke. Aware of this, the manager asked him not to draw the weapon to avoid getting caught in the crossfire. Don't. (laughs) Gerard dropped to the floor while McKeon placed his hands behind his back and was handcuffed. Guyana bound both with tape and rope. Uh, Taped and placed jackets over their heads before injecting both with a solution that was meant to make them feel drowsy, but which failed to act after being diluted in two doses instead of the planned single shot. Garana apologized for this and moved the manager away from the vault door. It's like, sorry, guys, it didn't quite work work out. Yeah, sorry about that, guys. Systematically selecting which money to remove from it, leaving behind coins and most uncirculated currency, taking the bags they were originally in along, 
Gerard and McKeon noted that he removed the car's backup wheel and made several trips with a cart that he would use. <laughs> What's the car's backup wheel? Cars have backup wheels? Remove the car's backup wheel. Remove the car's backup wheel and made several trips with the cart that he would use to move the money from the vault to it until 7,017,152 hairs were loaded. Aware that the sedative had failed, he made several checks on the status of his co-workers. Hey man, you all right? You guys doing good? <laughs> you, you didn't see me, did you? Garana concluded by loading another gun and a shotgun. Concluded by loading another gun and a shotgun, then honking the horn of the car to what is believed to have been a signal to another individual, and then left the premises. Okay. McKeon and Gerard struggled to release their bonds afterwards, but by the time they managed to contact the police officers, Jack Casey, Jack Bannon, and George Muka Mucha, Mucha. We're outside the compound waiting for the security Mucha, measures to be dropped. Mucha, Mucha. Huh. Hmm. Took too long, huh? Yeah, apparently. The, the police, however, were skeptical when they were told that at least $5 million were taken from the vault and assumed that the case was easy since the identity of the perpetrator was known. Instead, focusing on securing the crime scene. They're like, nah, uh, we don't need to do that. It was only $5 million. They, they were skeptical. They were skeptical. That it was even $5 million. It's just like, there's no way this guy took $5 million. Get out of here. Idiots. Meanwhile, Garan met associates working for the EPP, EPB, near a motel, handing over the money and his identification. From here, both parties went to different directions, with the other uh, Macheteros heading to Boston and dropping his identification along the way. Garana headed to New York and after being provided counterfeit documents, traveled south and crossed the border from where he traveled to Cuba. Oh, look at him gone. Oh, baby. Oh. How much money he get to keep? Who knows? Probably none. <laughs> Instead, they said he handed it all over. Right. That's life. Do it for the cause, man. Right. Do it for the cause. Mm, donation, baby. Mm, the case was placed in charge of Lieutenant John. Sh- what the hell is up with these names? Right. Shachaki. Shachaki. Yeah. And Lieutenant Duffy, while McKeon and Gerard were transported to a hospital. Why? Just a little drowsy. The Hartford Department was alerted to raid Garana's apartment, where Soto was interviewed and contacted his family. Uh, his brother, ex-wife, and an ex-girlfriend was also interrogated to no avail. Mm. All of these measures failed, and the police were unable to pinpoint Garana's location. They lost track of his plausible locations by finding the car, which was later found parked outside a motel and the knowledge of the locale that leased it. That's hmm. it, huh? After that, they were like, we know this car and the place he got it from. After that, who knows? He could be anywhere. And he is anywhere. Probably should have, uh, probably should have set out a, um, um, a search force like right away. Like instantly, well, the cops didn't even believe that money's even took. Nah, it's probably what hundred bucks. Plus, they're like, "Well, we know who he is. We'll get him. We'll get him again sooner or later." Yeah. Okay. Jim Milan, Milian, an FBI agent that worked on bank robberies, was placed in charge of the search for Garana. Despite receiving media attention at the behest, behest of the attorney John, yeah, at the behest of the attorney, the fuck. Despite receiving media attention at the behest of attorney John Bailey, the recovery of the vehicle failed to provide notable clues. The only piece of evidence found was a revolver and shotgun that Garana had used during the heist. Why would he leave him? I don't think he needs them. Right. I'm sure he doesn't want to be traveling with them. Right. The possibility that he had boarded a plane in the adjacent Brainard field was entertained. They're like, let's entertain that. Uh, he boarded the plane over there. Uh, you know what? I'm not very entertained by this. Let's, let's just drop let's it. Let's just drop it, too. Instead, the search turned to an area of wilderness that was near the motel. We all know about wilderness. Right. Well, you guys yeah. don't yet. <laughs> Where they speculated that he could have a second getaway vehicle or have received help. I'm going to go with. Here we are with the speculations always, again. Always. Always. All they do, man. <laughs> the area and nearby buildings failed to provide any evidence after several days of search. <coughs> oh shit like shit went down shit went down went lungs way mm-hmm. oh liquor in the lungs <laughs> <laughs> with the police's morale being affected by a number of false leads and media hype they interviewed individuals who claimed to have relationships with grand only to later admit they lied Jeez. Well, here we go again <laughs> of course Jeez, oh, Pete. well the fbi didn't lie the uh 
people that claim to have relationships right. with them did. Can um, we trust anybody? Into a coffee Come scene. on. Stone Cold thought it's that. All right. <laughs> Attempts were made to recover the samples taken from McKeon at Harper Hospital, but they had disappeared. Jeez. The time lapse between the time that Karana injected them and the test performed on Gerard and their limited spectrum failed to turn any known drug. Meanwhile, uh, Wells Fargo's offered a $350,000 reward for his capture. 350 though. grand? That's it? It's better than... Um, what do you mean? The a-holes at um, D.B. Cooper were only offering like 25. 25. <laughs> of course, he only did take 250,000. But right. I can't believe he only took that much. It's ridiculous. It's still equivalent to a, lot. a couple mil. Right. The Boston Herald labeled the event the big sleep heist. <laughs> well, they didn't even go to sleep, though. Come right. on. The heist was the largest single-handed in uh, American history. The second largest in total. Oh. The EPB would later draw parallels between the heist and the Boston Tea Party. Yeah, I don't know about that. What the hell's the EPB? The Barriqua Popular Army, uh, the present-day organization of the Macheteros, or EPB, derives its name from Puerto Rican history. So they're called the EPB, but they're the Macheteros. Macheteros, okay. Okay, so... Um, but it didn't say that at all. No, there. it didn't. We're just supposed to know who the hell the EPB is, so it's the Macheteros. Right. The Macheteros... We call them the EPB now, guys. <laughs> EPB. Thereby, uh, what is it, legal papers? <laughs> Thereby uh, referred to as EPB. Right. Uh, the EPB would later draw parallels between the heist and the Boston Tea Party and label it an act of retaliative expropriation against a federal government that had benefited from the Puerto Rican resources since the place in local farmers during the implantation of the sugarcane industry. Okay. <laughs> Garana's image instantly gathered him popularity by reflecting a hit of the middle class frustration with the establishment. Mm. Everybody's frustrated with the establishment. Always has been, always will be. With this photo even being exhibited in a store. Just one? It was in the store. <laughs> Just one store. <laughs> like, I made a store. It's like, big deal. Big deal. It's the one outside of town nobody goes to. Uh, there was a general perception that the heist had been, the heist had taken bank money, not people money, which was reinforced by their own frustrations with the corporate economy. Uh, even among the policemen assigned to track him down, he managed to muster a form of respect due to his boldness. A week later, T-shirts with his photo and the slogan, Go For It, were being sold in Harvard. Nice. <laughs> Look at that. Look at Granda. Doing it big. Look at the Connecticutans. Uh, lacking any solid evidence, the investigation turned to determine where Garana had traveled in the time that he had rented the car. With uh, 60 miles unaccounted for, the police unsuccessfully attempted to locate a storage for the money within radius of 15 and 30 miles. Mm. It's not there, guys. Hartford Police Chief Frank Reynolds and FBI State Chief Lon Lacey, that's a hell of a name, nice. held a reunion and discussed the future of the search with the first requesting to host the headquarters for the nationwide investigation in an effort to remain relevant to the case. Mm. Um, so the Hartford wanted to host the headquarters. Huh? Right. Um, a limited cooperation with the upper echelons of the Hartford PD was agreed, but the FBI retained all real jurisdiction of the case. Of course, of course. it is. Oh, of course they did. Why wouldn't they? Greedy sons of bitches. Right. The copies left behind at Hartford would later allow the press the insights into the case. Searches for Gana's apartment and his call list came up empty, with only his passport being recovered. Huh. Liza Soto was arrested and interrogated, but after um, after being threatened with felony charges, insisted that she did not. She did. I did. She did not know. You tell me. She did not know how. Uh, she did not know about the precedence of the Buick, despite having ridden it during the weekend. A liar. Her attorney, Michael Graham, quickly took the matter to public and threatened with taking legal action if the interrogations continued. <laughs> and eventually, municipal attorneys intervened. The media swiftly covered Muni the case. Muni municipal? Yeah, municipal. Municipal. M yeah, municipal. <laughs> municipal. Yeah. Uh, the media swiftly covered the case and interviews. Oh, of course they did. We don't want no uh, bad public image. Yeah, right. Unable to continue this line of inquiry, the interviews turned to those close to her, with the police discovering that she was a supporter of Puerto Rican independence from an employer that felt she had once wore a shirt that was un-American. Oh, Jeez. what's that? Oh, no. Despite this, up to the point that it literally had, like, uh, I support Puerto Rican independence or something. <laughs> That's shirt. pretty un-American. With the flag burning on her. Right. Despite this, up to the point, the uh, political ideology of the couple had not been investigated. And since this was an isolated piece of information that pointed towards it, the line of inquiry was dropped. 
A week and a half after the heist, a West Hartford detective was directly told that the Macheteros did it, but ignored it due to a lack of evidence that Guyana was politically militant. Dude, do they uh, do they investigate anything? anything? Why are they called? Why is the last um, portion of their name called investigation? Right. They don't do it. They speculate. They just, that's all they do. They don't ever follow up on anything. The, the Federal Bureau of uh, Speculation. The Federal, FBS. Federal Bureau of worthlessness right with no useful information coming from his sources the investigation turned to former schoolmates and employers encountering no didn't we have this last time with cooper asking the public hey pretty much yeah uh let's see encountering no information from nobody no negative testimony came from those interviewed and the police concluded that this was most likely influenced by desperation brought forth by debt oh my gosh dude all the evidence is there dude milan and duffy put pressure on Cesar Cremona, an old friend from Guadana, and godfather to one of his daughters, who insisted that Guadana would only do something like this for the benefit of a cause they considered worthy mm. and let them know that Guadana strongly supported Puerto Rican independence. Oh, well, further into the interrogation, he noted that Guadana had asked for his pickup truck the night before the heist, but had been refused. He said, no, man, I need my pickup truck, huh? I gotta go in the morning and do some work. Right. I don't, know, I don't even know what that is. Uh, this alarmed the authorities who mistrusted Carmona due to a past. Why do they mistrust him? Because he refused to uh, borrow the truck to get in? <laughs> like, come on, man. You're not even a good friend. <laughs> uh, they mistrusted him due to a past of arrest and uh, related arrest related to political activism and requested a polygraph test, which was negative. Yeah, they can't. That's not even admissible in court anyways. Mm -hmm. In October, with no further leads, Milan and Duffy went to Carmona's house only to be told to come back with a warrant. Oh, they did. Months later, while Carmona was facing an unrelated legal case, sure it was, uh, Milan and Duffy tried to convince him to talk about Guyana in exchange for the charges being dropped. Uh Uh-oh. This tactic failed when the charges were dropped anyways, and the agents (laughs) offered him... uh, Garana's bounty instead, which uh, he also declined. Right. He's like, no, I don't need the bounty. Uh, both the police and Wells Fargo were hounded by uh, hoaxers trying to impede their progress <laughs> and mock the authorities, with the company eventually closing its local operation. Oh, geez, they got uh, ran out of town. Dude. Wells Fargo, good. Wells Fargo's been oh, wreaking havoc on people for years. Yes, they have. Man. Dude, it's always Wells Fargo's, Wells Fargo's uh, shit that's getting robbed, too. Mm-hmm. Besides Brinks, I guess. Jesse James to, uh, oh yeah, yeah. If you go all the way back in the old West day, that was the strong boxes on the Uh the stagecoaches. It was Fargo, dude. Yeah. 30th October, 1983, an anti-tank rocket was fired against the federal building where Puerto Rico's FBI headquarters were at the time. FBI didn't investigate it. They were like, well, we can't prove it was a rocket. This is in Puerto Rico guys. Uh, the EPB soon took responsibility for the attack and noted that it was a warning in response to the invasion of Granada. Oh shit. On October 25th, five days previous, the organizations referred to this as Operation La Giulietina. Giulietina. Yeah, Giulietina. And despite claiming success. Giulietina. <laughs> Giulietina. Uh. <laughs> Operation La Giulietina, three way. Menace toi. And despite claiming success publicly, as strategists were frustrated that due to a lack of vantage points, the commandos had been unable to target the FBI offices directly. The use of registered cars and a deviation from the planned escape route. So they couldn't get the offices. They had registered cars and they didn't even go the right escape route. Right. Idiots. (laughs) And you guys are in Puerto Rico. It's your homeland. Come on. The FBI was able to track down the cars and were (laughs) able to find a traffic ticket attributed to a Pedro Almodova Rivera. And using the information provided in this license, discovered the hideout of the Filiberto Oeda Rios, who had been on their wanted list for 13 years. Wow. Um, And who they claimed was a Cuban intelligence officer besides a leader in the EPB and coordinator of several pro-independence factions. He's got a lot on his plate, doesn't he? Uh, However, However. instead of arresting him, they opted to tail him and learn what they could find of his associates. Hmm. Might be the first smart thing the FBI's (laughs) done so far. They're not going to speculate anymore. They're actually going to get information. How about we follow up on some of this stuff? Right. How about we be detectives? (laughs) Jeez. Led by Lacey, FBI surveyed the compound throughout the six days. Yeah. Uh, throughout the day, six days a week from an adjacent oh, building. Oh, come on. No days off, bro. Oh, come on, man. You got to do it. The Bureau spent $8 million in this investigation. So they're not even going to lose the money. 
They're losing a million. <laughs> right. <laughs> this is what gets me. How, how are they spending eight million dollars? Right. On what? What are they doing? These guys are holed up in a house for right. eight days. They're doing nothing. Six days a week. I spend I mean, eight mil. Get the hell out Come of here. On, and tap several vehicles, buildings, and public telephones and recorded all adjacent activity. November. Garana defied the Hartford authorities by sending letters to his mother and girlfriend, apparently from Buffalo. Lies. <laughs> you guys, he's, I'm in Buffalo and they got they're looking for me in Cuba. Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. He went to Cuba, though. So did he go back to Buffalo? He must have. Or maybe he sent it to Buffalo and had somebody else from Buffalo send it, you know? Possibly. After being deemed authentic, another unsuccessful search search took place in Buffalo. The use of the phrase Big Sleep Heist, previously used by the Boston Herald, raised suspicions that Grana had been in the area or had collaborators there. But then soon FBI investigation, guess what? Failed to provide any results. Why would the use of the phrase raise suspicions that he was there? Would he give him the phrase or something? Does it make any sense? Just because Boston Herald reused the phrase, that means right. Karana was in there? Oh, he's there. Was, they used a big sleep ice. <laughs> what the fuck does that mean? What the heck does that mean? No. Uh, the FBI continued gathering information of the EPB that visited Ojeda. Is it Ojeda? Ojeda? Ojeda. Jay's like an H sound, right? Oh, yeah. Ojeda. Ojeda. Unaware that they were under surveillance and not yet noticing the activity in the neighborhood. Okay. Oh, look at these guys slipping up over here. Macheteros. Uh, Jose Rodriguez was placed in charge of the Puerto Rican investigation while the Bureau was experiencing problems piecing together the information due to the EPB's use of pseudonyms. Right. Tales conversations were archived at the local FBI headquarters where the Buru. The <laughs> where the bureau would try to identify the individuals recorded. I mean, yeah. probably what you need to do. Jeez, dude. <laughs> During this process, they discovered that the EPB was organizing uh, a flight to New York, planting agents in the plane where one had traveled. Good for them. I mean, they do some things right, and then they just do some idiotic shit. I mean, holy hell. How, why do did, why did we even fund the FBI? Yeah, it was ridiculous. Uh, how they spent $8 million on a six-day investigation. That's just ridiculous. <sighs> they tailed three EPB members to their meetings with another individual and then to New Paltz, where they entered an RV. Right. However, However, during the surveillance, the FBI agents assigned left the premises. And once they returned, the EPB members had left. <laughs> oh, my goodness. The Bureau only had a Texas license plate number as evidence. Once they checked the number, they learned that it was linked to another of Ojeda's pseudonyms, Juvenile Concepcion, which is uh, use, which he used in Southborough, Massachusetts as well. And that negotiation to buy the RV had been concluded that the day before the Wells Fargo heist. Okay. Once they checked the number, they learned that it was a linked to another Ojeda's pseudonyms. Yeah, and it was now uh, conceptual. Negotiation to buy the RV had been concluded the day before the Wells Fargo heist, so they already right. wanted the RV before that. Right. Mm. Unwilling to compromise the investigation. Investigation. Unwilling to compromise in the investigation in Puerto Rico, the FBI opted not to leak knowledge. Why would you leak it anyways? Like, how about we just don't say anything to right. anybody? How about that? Theory that Grana had traveled to Boston and later used in the RV later used the RV to enter Mexico on September 27, 1983. They know this out. Um, theory. That's what it is. Oh, uh, the check used to purchase it was traced to Bay Bank Harvard Trust, where the cameras recorded Sagara doing the transaction under the alias of K. Fishman. Nice. Uh, despite Lincoln, don't you have to have ID and stuff to I do this? What not. the hell is going on? Despite the despite linking the heist to EPB, the FBI was unable to do anything with this information without any piece of concrete evidence, and the focus returned to Puerto Rico. <laughs> this is like a runaround. The other idiots. All they're doing. April nineteen eighty four. The Puerto Rico police casually discovered an <laughs> casually is <laughs> walking around with their hands <laughs> in their pockets. Oh, look at that! That's EPB oh, safe house. house. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like a safe house. <laughs> nice. <laughs> right next to the police station. <laughs> Right. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Oh, they're investigating another crime scene. Oh, sure they were noticing an explosive artifact in a weapons cache. They transferred jurisdiction to the FBI, which also found documents attributed to the group. I'm surprised the Puerto Rican police actually uh, told the FBI about it. To be honest with you, right? Among which were payroll notes filled with code names. Seventh of May, 1984. The FBI tracked Ojeda as he the took FBA. 
FBI attract attracted. <sighs> the FBI was attracted to Oeda. <laughs> right. Like, mm. I think it was a little swimming trip. Ojeda. Seventh of May, nineteen eighty-four. The FBI attracted Ojeda as he took a trip to New York. New York City. And then traveled to Springfield, Massachusetts. Rendezvoused with two colleagues who arrived in the RV and traveled to Bellingham. Afterwards, they recovered a single piece of paper linked to Houston International Airport. Okay. A single piece of paper. <clears throat> Getting somewhere, are we? The EPB members held a reunion in Dorster. Is it why? Dor- Dorchester. Didn't we were doing no, this Why are they in Massachusetts? Anyways. Didn't we do this name before? I think it's uh, Dorchester. It's, no, it's Dorchester. 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 We look this one up. Yeah, uh, okay. uh, and discuss what to do. That's what we do. We'll look up words, guys. <laughs> and discuss what to do with the RV, eventually leaving it at Boston, in Boston, where the pursuing agents later seized it. Uh, despite this, the FBI was unable to track the money until Ojeda complained about the use that people apparently hire, and the EPB was given into it by allowing the Cubans to by allowing the Cubans the chance to guard it instead of using a place where it could be handled as a collective without external intervention. Okay, <laughs> inadvertently <laughs> revealing that it had been transported from Mexico to Cuba to the wiretaps. Really? Oh, so they use this RV everywhere. Wait, oh, the money. Okay, hmm. the money was transported from Mexico to Cuba. Cuba, July 1984, local FBI informed their counterparts in the states of the Cuban involvement. Surprising Milan and Duffy, who had assumed that Grana could be in Canada based on it. Jeez, they don't even know. Based on a trip mentioned by an ex-girlfriend. <laughs> oh, at one time I thought. Well, was, you know, like 13 years ago, he mentioned he wanted to go to Canada and I'd drink. I like to go to Canada once. Yeah, When right. he was 17 right. and didn't have, you know. Prostitution's legal, isn't it? I don't know. And which had led to a collaboration with the mounted police in a search there. They're like, what well, can I help you with, eh? We can help you with, eh? Sorry. No. Sorry. Sorry. Sorry, we can't help you, eh? Sorry. 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 <laughs> Just, uh, <laughs> January 25th, 1985, the EPB attacked the federal court building with a, with a bazooka. A bazooka. <gasps> in protest to the president. I wonder if the guy's name was Joe. <laughs> bazooka Joe. Bazooka What's, Jorge. <laughs> What's Joe in Spanish? Yo. Joe and it's Jose. Obviously, you idiot. <laughs> Jose, uh, Bazooka Jose. <laughs> Jose. Jose. Bazooka Jose. Jose. All right. Bazooka Jose. Josie. All right. Here we got a bazooka pointed at the um, federal building, right? Federal court building. Oh, he yep. tagged it with it. Yes, he did. Oh, he actually Jose used he was it. playing around with his bazooka. Right. He was in protest of the presence of an American military recruit center within it. You don't like that. April 12th. Why do you say words like that? Like there was a hyphen in the middle of recruit. Recruit? <laughs> recruit. <laughs> April 2, 1985. The EPB criticized that people uninvolved in the heist were being pressured into the grand jury investigation. I mean, which that kind of were, right? So wait. This is making life hell on everybody. Do they know the EPB is involved in this right now? They have suspicions. But now the EP, uh, they're criticizing now. Are they going public? Like, oh, All right. <laughs> what the hell is going on here? Yeah. And send a bank note taken during the heist as proof that the group was responsible oh, for so it. Yeah, they, they want people to know that they did it then. Oh, okay. Following a threat retaliation, the subpoenas issued to third parties were dropped. Ooh, good for them. Yeah, what the hell are these third parties guys going to do for them anyway? Right. The surveillance soon revealed that Gran would take credit for the heist on behalf of the EPB in a press event to be. Oh, wow. These guys are going to hold a whole press event. Hey. It was me, FBI. And what you going to do? <laughs> and a press event to be held on September 24th, 1984. Well, following the leak of FBI. De- oh, it was a press event by um, the FBI. The FBI. Following the leak of FBI declarations in a 1982 hearings in apparent conjunction with the investigation, the Bureau stopped its communication with the Hartford police. They said, we don't need you. All right. As the anniversary of the heist approached, the unif- uninformed public created its own narratives, linking the heist to a number of FARC farcical motives including links to the mob and accomplice within its own family or that he had a female companion and a contemporary equivalent to bonnie and clyde yeah come on this this, uh here we go fantasizing these rubbish claims what what do they say romanticizing the story right freak out of here ironically yeah the political angle was the most accurate why is that ironic i know right it's most plausible of all of them right but also the least popular among the rumors circulating in the case obviously why do you think These people are idiots the ones that ain't pushing is what really is happening but it right. linked grano with the flan the phone whoever that is yeah i don't know who that is in west arford 
It was reported that an FBI agent leaked to the press that Guyana would be talking to the media on Labor Day. Although the date was off the rumor, it proved accurate. Mm. Okay. So he did make a release there in uh, Labor Day, eh? As expected, Guyana revealed his affiliation well, to the, the ETB by sending a series of postcards to the media on the 3rd and the 9th of September in 1984. So his... A couple days after. So yeah, it wasn't Labor Day, but... It was right. Right. September 9th, 1984. He's like, here, here he is, guys. It was me. It was me. One of them was sent. One of the letters was sent to Hartford Courant. What's a Courant? A newspaper? I'm guessing. And addressed to one of its former correspondents, Mark Stillman, from where it was relayed to the local police who certified that the handwriting was actually well, you know, written this handwriting by, is real. This is written by somebody. <laughs> this is not written by a robot, sir. It's only 1985. We don't have those things yet. Right. Well, not uh, that you know. <laughs> in it, Grana congratulated Stillman and fellow reporter Dave Lesher for a story published a half a year before, but also noted that their guest, crime author J. Robert Nash, was only partially correct about his assumption that he had targeted Wells Fargo to get back at the system and get the quote-unquote American dream and promised to clear the misconceptions in the future. Okay. Hey, this must-see TV now and the cliffhangers. Um, we'll be back next week for my uh, right. my reasons. The Hartford Current Current ran the story in its headline, calling it "Notes from the Underground." Notes from the Underground. Mm. Okay. The San Juan headquarters of the Associated Press and EFE received similar postcards, criticizing United States intervention in Latin America and warning of impending announcement, as did newspaper El Mundo, but unaware of the Hartford angle were unable to do much with any of it. In all of these letters, Gran has used a card that depicted a prominent American symbol with a double meaning intended, in particular, the Statue of Liberty as a symbol of the Puerto Rican independence. Okay. The use of sophisticated Spanish. Ooh, what's sophisticated? What is sophisticated Spanish? Uh, no uh, mess ups. Perfect accent, I guess. Mm. And a change in the signature fueled speculation about exactly when Gadana had joined the EPV. Oh, gives a shit about the speculation. Right. Come on. On uh, October 19, 1984, an unidentified Machetero contacted a United Press International EPV. reporter <laughs> yeah, in Puerto Rico, directing her to a Communique. Communique. I'm guessing like a um, commentating thing or a communique. What the hell is a communique? I don't know. <laughs> guys, it's just regular words. It's definitely like a French word or something. Or a Puerto Rican word. <laughs> it's also a studio album by Dire Straits. Nice. <laughs> uh, it is an official announcement. Official announcement or statement, one made, especially one made of the media. Oh, my gosh. Why <laughs> couldn't you just say that? Official announcement. Directing, through, directing her to an official announcement where the EPB took full responsibility for the heist, oh, which geez. was codenamed Petire 3 and considered one in a series of military economic operatives. Okay. Uh, carried out by the group against Wells Fargo and by extension, the American economy. Ooh, by uh, extension. Yeah. You're attacking the Americans, he people. Took seven million, bro. All right, come on. But the group was also explained that the reason uh, the reason behind the date, which was the birth of birthday of Pedro Albizu Campos, and clarified that Garana had trained them with them for more than a year before the event. Ooh, wee. Okay, the letter made the presence of the EPB known to the American public at Hartford, which in turn changed their support towards Granite to criticism. Oh, no. As the idea of a revolution became of known. Course of course. Had, Look at all had, these idiots celebrating them and stuff, and then they're like, wait, he actually hates us. <laughs> uh, the FBI became secretive through the year's end, virtually severing its communication with the police and the media. Oh. Meanwhile, the EPB made attempts to contact the Hartford media through calls and postcards. They're just trying to keep it going, huh? They want to be heard, I guess. All right. Mm. Day after Christmas, 1984, Norman Ramirez arrived with the intention of organizing a publicity stunt where they would hand gifts while dressed as kings, <clears throat> which is a traditional Latin American practice to celebrate the epiphany, but was soon confronted by the leader of the New York branch of the EPB, who oh. considered it unnecessary and presumptuous. Right. It's like, like no. why are you guys doing this? Kids are idiots. Right. However, however, the local second in command greenlighted the event with the approval of Juan Sagara. Oh, okay. In Puerto Rico, this act earned the disapproval of Ojeda, uh-oh, who insisted uh -oh. that, yeah. Uh-oh, breaking mm -hmm. apart in the inside. Right, who insisted that the stunt broke the chain of command and places the EPP at risk. Well, no shit. Come on. Oh, uh, what's his face? 
Who, Ojeda? Who's the leader? Ojeda. And New York. Well, the other guy was um, it's just a leader. <laughs> <laughs> the second in command, though, is Juan Segarra, though. <sighs> That's ridiculous. Anyhow, nevertheless. Just local guys. Nobody cares about them. Right. Nevertheless, 6th of January, 1985, three EPB commandos rented a van and uh, gave presents to the children in the neighborhood where, oh, they're like, hey, come oh. on. It's like a little uh, ice cream truck going through town. Right. Nice. Right, right. right. Uh, they gave presents to children in the neighborhood where Grana lived in West Hartford. Dude, Grana is like a god to these people. Right. FBI agent participated in. Well, they the probably didn't expect him. Like, you know, you're probably going to have to work there right. for like at least a year before you move up, maybe two years. <clears throat> and little did he, did he know, five months in, this dude's got the keys to the vaults. Right. He's like, ah, guess we're moving our plan up by about a year and a half or so. Got to get it done, right? It's, I blame it. whatever the company was that, uh forget the name of it when we first mentioned it, but they're, yeah. they're the ones that's responsible for all Stupid. of this. Idiots. They should have never had that much money anyway. <sighs> Anyway, so we got, what do we got? Uh, some EBP. FBI agent. EPB commandos. Giving out children. Giving out children. <laughs> <laughs> giving out children to the elite. <laughs> and then the the, uh, the case was suddenly dropped. The FBI right. was like, okay. Yep. Nothing to see here, <laughs> Nothing guys. Nothing to see here. Move Nothing on. Human Dead. trafficking. Drown. Drown. <laughs> <Nope. laughs> Drown. Yeah. Anyway, they had a presence of children in Granada's uh, neighborhood. So, where are we at now? FBI agent. Oh, an FBI agent participated in the giveaway and recorded everything that took place. Photos of the event were later. Oh, what did you right? say? An FBI agent participated in something that... Oh, um, and they're, hmm. and they're acknowledging it? Right. Photos of the event were later sent to El Mundo and Hartford Corant, where the group took responsibility and justified that it was Christmas in a poor neighborhood. Give them that. Come on, it's Christmas, and these guys are poor. Right. The story was soon spread to the Puerto Rican media through a, uh, through a call to El Mundo. However, However, within the EPB concerns began to be expressed over Segarra's attitude following the stunt, right? Which had left him with a taste for exp- exposition that contracted with the group's clandestine nature. Yeah, this dude wants to get noticed now and be like Ooh. somebody in the public eye. No, it is. And the rest of the group's like, dude, we don't want that. Why would you do that? You send a guy out on his own to do his thing, and then he's got right. he's power fucking, power freaking, uh, power struck. And he's like, I can do anything. I can, I can run this whole operation. I want, I want to run this whole operation. I want. Most of the suspects, except Garan, Cigar, and the Gonzalez brothers, <laughs> were arrested during the morning of August thirtieth, nineteen eighty-five. Um, more than thirty separate locations in the municipalities of Carolina, Caguas, Bayamon, Vega Baja, Luquelo, and uh, Luquillo, and uh, Guanabo were raided and non-lethal tactics were used to ensure a trial. Puerto Rican authorities were not warned beforehand and no warrants warrants were shown. Why? I mean, why? It's Puerto Rico. The arrests in question were highlighted by an exchange of gunfire which blinded an FBI agent. Oh, no. In which Ojeda countered the intervention with a handgun and an Uzi submachine gun after a telephone exchange failed to reach an agreement, giving him enough time to dispose of EPP documents. Oh, so Ojeda Ojeda got arrested, though, huh? Right. Look at that. The main guy, gone. All right. Afterwards, he walked outside and, and allowed the agents to arrest him. He's like, it's over. Enough of the documents are gone. There was also controversy over the procedures, in particular over a 10-year-old being allowed to go to the bathroom only with an armed agent by his side and the season of useless evidence, such as an unfinished novel, cultural recordings, and children's cassettes. That same day, the first, uh, the first set of accusations related to the heist were issued with Ganana, Ojeda, Sagara, Jorge Farinati, Farinati. Hey, we got a uh, Italian guy up in here. I don't think so. George, George Farinici. <laughs> His name is Jorge. <laughs> <laughs> so you got uh, Garana, Ojeda, Sagara, Jorge Farinati, Avelino Gonzalez, and Norberto Gonzalez. <laughs> Jeez. Being the main defendants on the charges of theft from an interstate shipment. Holy shit. That's a lot to say there. Interference of shipment. 
by robbery and robbery of federally insured bank funds. Oh, geez. Yep, that's a lot of charges. Let's Several. Just, let's just say life. You're getting charged with life. Pretty much. Several others were also charged, of which only Paul Weinberg was not accused as a member of the EPB for a total of 19 defendants altogether. So there goes to several others again, being mentioned right. again. Look at him bring himself back. Towards this already right, several <laughs> others, dude. They're the most popular people in our uh, series here. Towards this argument, uh, the federal government created a scale to systematically assign a portion of the seven millions to one of the four banks, the Bank of Boston, the Connecticut National Bank, the New England Savings Bank, and the Connecticut Bank and Trust Company. Okay. Why? I guess they're going there maybe already. Uh, Gran was issued additional charges of aggravated robbery of federal insured bank funds for disabling the guards. Yeah, man. man. Aggravated robbery. Dude, you really aggravated this robbery, right. right? Jeez. The defendants charged with conspiracy to interfere with commerce by robbery and conspiracy to rob federally insured funds, conspiracy to commit a theft from interstate shipment, and conspiracy to transfer stolen money into interstate and foreign commerce. Whew. Additional charges deal with the transportation of the money, including two separate accounts of interstate transportation of stolen money, one for moving the money upstate. country. Interstate. Well, I guess for Puerto Rico. Yeah, it's not a country. Additional charges deal with transportation of the money, including two separate accounts of interstate transportation of stolen money. One for moving the money upstate and another for moving $12,000 for the gift giveaway in Hartford. Oh, so you're going to charge them for giving away presents to children? It's not like they took the presents from the children. And foreign transportation of stolen money. Wouldn't that be messed up? Right. Go back, like, kids. No. We, we need all they have FBI stuff. car right behind them. Every time they give a kid, they go ahead and take <laughs> it away. <laughs> they hand it and they just fucking take it back. <laughs> right. uh, that's hilarious. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Not today. Nope. Sorry. <laughs> Jeez. And foreign transportation of stolen. Okay. The FBI presented 1,300 wiretap recordings that they considered evidence along surveillance photos and the material confiscated in the discovered safe house in the RV. So now they're getting somewhere. Uh-huh. Well, the preliminary hearing in the case took place overseen by Judge Justo Arenas with the families of the accused holding a vigil and protest outside. Ojeda faced, oh, no, <laughs> our, our guys are clearly guilty. Right. <laughs> Free, free Devante. <laughs> Ojeda faced the most severe sentence, up to 130 years, but even the secondary Ooh. defendants faced 20 to 40. Oh, wow. Uh, feeling that most of the evidence was circumstantial and that the tales could be interpreted as political banter that could be interpreted accordingly by locals. Mm. Defense pushed to keep the trial in Puerto Rico Ooh. while the prosecution led by H. Manuel Hernandez insisted in taking it abroad. Yeah, you kind of got to take it out of Puerto Rico. You gotta take it to uh Florida. Yeah. Miami. Welcome to Miami. Kuka Wika Winka. Arenas opted to hold the removal hearing on September first, nineteen eighty five, with the prosecution requesting that bail hearing was held in a preliminary hearing as well. Jeez, oh Pete. But when, man, these people got a lot to say with nothing to say though. What <laughs> <laughs> the request was not granted. They're like, nope. Don't they know you say it best when you say nothing at all? Right. The defense requested five days to prepare for the bail hearing, Mm. which were granted. Like, we'll give you that. We'll give you five days. Right. I mean, come on. Why do you need five days for a bail hearing? Can we just do it now? Can I get out or what? I don't want to wait five (laughs) days. What do you think? Can I, you know, you going to grant me some bail or? Just get out here. (laughs) (laughs) Roll it out. Come on. That's so stupid. They took five days to say, defendant or uh, judge. I think my client should get out of uh, get, should get out on bail. Judge is like denied. <laughs> <laughs> Took five days to come up with that. What are right. you talking about? Hey, little Pete. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. So anyway, they gave him five days for the bail hearing, but the removal hearing remained scheduled for two days later. Uh, okay. Feeling that it would be hindered to its case to hold the bail hearing in Connecticut, where the defendants were expected to be sent in a removal hearing. The defense instead opted to argue that they had not been able to meet their clients individually. They're like, I need to see both of them different in separate times. I got to get, you know, come on. A lot of stuff. You guys charge them with a lot here. I need to figure this stuff out. Dismissing this argument, Arenas then accepted that prosecution's request to hold the bail hearing at once. The defense objected on the grounds that the warrants were missing information, including an official signature. Oh, geez. Which Arenas agreed, but and concluded that they were not fatally defective. 
They're like, well, isn't that like the uh, number one thing you need to get right. a judge to sign it or something? They're like, that's, I mean, it's a legal document. I mean, that signature means everything. <laughs> but, but, you know, we're going to, it's not fatal to this. Uh, All right. Case. I mean, come on. You guys got the warrant. You guys, it's, it's valid. <laughs> Meanwhile, Cigarra was arrested in Dallas, but refused to be interrogated without a lawyer. Good, oh, good for good, him. Good, but he was taken before a judge without a signed defense and was opted to waive a removal hearing, being what? immediately sent to Oklahoma, where he spent two weeks in solitary confinement. That makes no sense. None. A woman named Anne can't deny anybody representation. No, unless I mean, is he a citizen? I don't know. All a right. woman named Anne Gasson, with apparent ties to Cigarra, was arrested and later offered a cooperation deal. And the removal hearing at Puerto Rico, Arena sent the defendants to Hartford. Um, that case was then taken to Connecticut, where the defendants being transported to an undisclosed location by helicopter, and communications with them cut until the next hearing, as stipulated in Section E of the Bail and Detention Statutes. Section E. Uh, shortly afterwards, the EPB warned that they would respond with great force. I'm sure they will. Okay, guys. Guys, all you can muster up is bazookas, Jose. Right. <laughs> 3rd of September, 1985, the detention hearing was seen by Judge Owen Egan at a Cardone Federal Building in Hartford. Cordoned. Right. With the defendants being escorted by heavily armed marshals, accompanied by attack dogs, and snipers being placed in adjacent buildings on the roofs or in windows. The defense led by William Cutsler and Bruce Rubebstein. Rube <laughs> <laughs> I'm never going to the Northeast. Oh, gee, I know, dude. Ridiculous. What's Bruce Rubebstein argues that the use of his name is ridiculous. <laughs> he's, like, he's, he's like, Your Honor, nobody should ever call me Mr. Rubebstein. Okay? <laughs> Just call me Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> Stick to the case I had, Mr. 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 R. R. <laughs> this is Mr. R. <laughs> Mr. R. Yeah. Jeez. Oh, he argued that the use of that kind of security would only bias the community and media against. I mean, come on. Right. Against against the defendants and demanded to know why they were not allowed to talk. Right. With why clients. are they not allowed to talk with their clients? Well, I mean, what's going on here? Why can't I talk with my clients? Mm, the assigned attorney also felt that by not allowing the defendants to choose their own attorneys, geez, this special. This is a whole bunch of stuff that should not be happening right no. now. Those specialized in political cases were ostracized, ostracized, and allow the case to be simply processed as common robbery without political motivations. Well, that's not going to happen. Egan allowed a Puerto Rican lawyer to remain in court, and the def defendants were allowed to choose their lawyers, all of which chose Puerto Rican lawyers that adopted the political angle. Duh. But yeah, my lawyer, make sure he doesn't agree with me. Right. Uh, by a bail, bail, a bail hearing was held on September 13th, 1985, while the defense <clears throat> returned to Puerto Rico to prepare their case and analyze the FBI's evidence. Oh, geez. This is all the way a back, shit show. They had to go all the way back to Puerto Rico to this, analyze evidence. This shouldn't even be, you shouldn't even be able to see any of this. <laughs> no, this should be immediately thrown out of court just based on what they're doing to the defendant. This is, it's stupid. Regardless of what the hell happened and what, what they stole, this is all. This no. is a this is a dark stain on the FBI's. Uh, um, no, well, their their blanket's so stained they can't even ridiculous. notice anymore. Anyways, so. garbage can't even clean that anymore. Uh, yeah, the case was filled with ethnic tension that led to confrontation between one of the lawyers and a police officer. Uh, During the bail hearing, some of the defendants were released on bail, with some being ordered to pay in secured funds. However, most of the defendants were denied bail. The EPB held at the Metropolitan Correctional Center was assigned maximum security requiring special procedures status, the highest that the institution had. That's why it's called maximum. These measures kept them 22 to 23 hours a day locked down with no private visits being allowed between couples or children being allowed to visit. Hey, man. Lawyers. That's it. Sorry. 23rd September 1985. The EPB published a press release. Right. They published a uh, press release praising the defendants as martyrs for their cause. However, However, there was an internal debate taking place within an organization who debated if more actions against the federal government would affect the cause of, I mean, affect their case of the defendants. So they're like, let's just be cautious. Can we, can we, can we be can cautious, we? guys? Well, probably not. In December, oh, I thought that said something else. <laughs> In December 1985, Nationalist paper Libertad <laughs> warned that the federal warned the federal government that if the arrest continued, they would begin preparing preparing their cemeteries. Also, oh, oh shit! Um, 
because they intended to send federal agents referred to as mercenaries back to them. Oh. Um, that same month, the defendants issued a press release thanking the attention that they had received from the public. A poll conducted by Yankel, Yankolovich, Skelly and White for El Nuevo Dia, Dia showed that despite the majority of the population still condemned their tactics, around 41% considered their cause just, although their tactics were, were extreme. Right. They're like, eh, I mean... <laughs> I wouldn't have went yeah, as far as they did. Now. Jose, but... calm down with the bazookas. Right. Man. February 1986, Farinici, who had been released on a $500,000 bail, returned to attend hearings in Hartford. He made use of these results to argue the case of the defendants and note that there was concern among independence advocates that FBI could wire their houses. Like, mm. Valid concern. I would be concerned. The event marked the introduction of American activists to the case. Uh oh. You know, we get the activists there. Mm. The pre-indictment hearing was led by Judge Emmett Clare. One of the defense lawyers complained that that his mall had been monitored to the protest of prosecution. Did you say mall had been monitored? <laughs> I did. <laughs> dude, they're monitoring my whole mall. It's like, <laughs> like 25,000 square feet, dude. Why are they doing this? <laughs> oh, shit. One of the defense lawyers complained that his mail had been monitored to the protest of the prosecution. 21st of March, 1986, a second set of indictments were issued against the defendants. The initial removal was appealed on 2nd of May, 1986. The federal appeals court upheld arena's judgment. Well, on June 2nd, 1986, the defense requested for the case to move back to Puerto Rico oh, where the political motives would be understood and argued that the Sixth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution offered a right to be tried in the district of the offense. Well, okay. Look at these guys doing their homework. And uh, cited um, Supreme Court in the United States precedents of defendants being tried in their own community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you got to be... Jury of your Isn't peers. Jury of your peers, right. Jury of your peers. Uh, Michael Deutsch brought in sociolinguist William Labov. Uh, who exposed that due to low quality recording, only native Spanish speakers had been able to understand words and what recorded in the tapes turned test. And that even though there was no agreement about what was being said due to low quality recording, only native Spanish speakers had been able to understand words um, and recordings. And that even then there was no agreement about what was being said. So I don't even know what they're saying. Nobody can understand them. Right. Labov argued that has diminished. Yeah, Labov argued that this diminished the possibility of a transcript being objective without the jury understanding the words mm -hmm. and estimating the voice tones in the tapes. They were like, yeah, we don't know if <laughs> saying evidence. <laughs> we can't, we can't, we can't uh, juror on assumptions. Right. We need facts. Mm. This was to use to argue in favor of moving the case back to Puerto Rico and against employing an entirely American jury. Like, how can that be? Did these look like the peers to them? I don't think right. so. We can, uh, you guys want to ship up 12 uh, Puerto Ricans and get them up here tomorrow. That's how you want to do it. We got a Puerto Rican judge and everything. <laughs> Claire declined to move the case. He's like, Billy, nope. Billy. <laughs> Billy, stay in here. <laughs> stay in here, Claire says, citing that it revolved around a heist in Hartford. It's true. He's like, it all boils down to the case for the seven mil which happened here in Hartford and the arguments would not involve Puerto Rican politics. Was, we're, we're not. Right. Like, yeah. Okay. Now. I, yeah. Right. I don't know right. why I was siding with the other guy. <laughs> the crime was in Hartford. It's like, why right. would they move it to Puerto Rico anyways? Despite stupid. Right. Despite this prosecution and emphasize alleged EPV movements in Cuba and Nicaragua, both countries were strong ties to communism, mm -hmm. to Bidenism. <laughs> the defense then moved to argue the suppression of government evidence due to procedural errors in its collection that included being sealed months after dictated by procedure mm. suppression of uh, government evidence. Well, that's no, um, that's no surprise there. Right. Concern grew over the prolonged time of reclusion that the accused were spent spending in jail on preventative detention on October 21st, 1986, the U S court of appeals for the second district argued that such a period of pretrial detention was unconstitutional. Unconstitutional. The U.S. court doing this, too, huh? Now, uh, by December, Claire had begun to set bonds for the accused that were held for 15 months under preventative detention. Oh, jeez. So what are these, like the Capitol rioter guys or something? Oh, being held 15. Wow. Well, let's see what the sentences had. We got Juan Sagara Palmer, one of the leaders of the group, was sentenced 65 years in prison. 
1999, he was one of the FALN members whose sentences were commuted by President Billy Clinton. Oh, of course. Filiberto Ojeda Rios was sentenced in absentia. 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 Was sentenced in absentia to 55 years in prison. His lawyer stated that Ojeda jumped bail because he he did not think he could get a fair trial. Oh, so he wasn't even there. Right. In a case that drew, Dang, they let this dude out too, and he just was like, "Bye." Right. In a case that drew criticism from the government of Puerto Rico, Ojeda was shot and killed in a shootout when Whoa. the FBI raided his hideout in Puerto Rico in 2005. Holy crap! Oh, that's 30 years after. It's crazy, right? No, it's 20. Was what? 80. 82. Four. 82. Right. 92. Oh, dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 23 years afterwards, he killed him. Nice. Still looking for this dude. Good for them. <laughs> oh, according to one of the group's members, the federal officials prosecuting the case in recognition of the international right of peoples of colonized countries to armed fight for the end. Oh, what the fuck? <laughs> according to one of the group's members, the federal officials prosecuting the case in recognition of the international right of peoples of colonized countries to armed fight for their independence. What the hell? For their independence. Never asked them for the return of the money. Of course not. And that some of the defendants were given either light or no sentences. Which? The group asserts that the money was not used for personal gain, but to further the struggle for Puerto Rico's independence. Mm. Well, they don't want you to use the money for that either. Of course they don't. Why would they want to? 2010, Avelino Gonzalez Claudio was sentenced for his part in the planning of the robbery. Seven years in prison, ordered to pay back the money. Ooh, ordered to pay back all the money. It's, it's in quotes, so they're just like, you better pay. <laughs> right. Or else. Right. In and 2010, why are they just now sentenced this guy in 2010? It doesn't make any, any sense to me. Right. Victor Manuel Garana is still at large and was listed as one of the FBI most 10 wanted uh, until April 11, 2010, when we became the fugitives to have spent the most time on the list. Jeez, dude. Look at Garana, dude. He got away. With like the, they call it the Brinks robbery that we did the perfect crime. Obviously, it wasn't the perfect crime for everybody else, but they didn't find any money. Number one, and they didn't find the guy that took it. One guy took it, <laughs> and all these other guys. Hey man, all these other other guys going down, and then poor uh, Avelino Gonzalez. He has to pay it all back. <laughs> <laughs> he got put on him. He's like, dude, like who's gonna get to pay it all back? Well, let's, let's give it to this Avelino. He's got guy. the most ridiculous name, right? <laughs> <laughs> Let's get Emily, it. know it is that guy. <laughs> yes. Wow, that was a oh, that was wow. a tongue twister even, of a show. Yeah, I don't <laughs> even know how to process all this stuff because holy crap, so much, so much stupidity, and so much ignorance on behalf of the FBI, and then <sighs> the case should have been immediately thrown out if they were following the law, not allowing them to see their lawyers. You can't do that, dude. I mean, come on, I mean, come on, guys. I never even heard about this robbery until uh, no, we start talking about it. No. So this is all like amateur shit, even from the FBI. Yeah, like what is going on here? Do you expect this from a small town little police department? They clearly didn't have their elite men on um, no. <laughs> this case oh, here. No. That's for sure. So, but they did no. manage to spend eight million dollars for uh, who knows what hookers and right alcohol, Puerto, Puerto Rican blow and Puerto Rican and blow. Stuff. Mm. So yeah. That's it for us on this episode of Outlaws and Gunslingers. Remember, if you want to watch this on video and unedited, where it looks like we're going to have roughly about 25 minutes of extra extracurricular um, activity, extra content here that you're not going to hear on this actual podcast. Um, bang, dang, pod, bang, dang. Oh, my God. Patreon.com forward slash bang, dang, where it's $2 a month and you get this show. Our previously mentioned battles of the Civil War, American Civil War. Aforementioned. Aforementioned. Battle of the American Civil War, Lee and Corey on the case, which we're about to record a brand new episode right now, and uh, Monday Night Watch Along, which is creeping up on 120 weeks here coming up, so got all that for $2 a month, patreon.com forward slash bank. anything should make you sign up for Patreon is giving us the uh, sympathy of going through two and a half years of Monday Night Raw and WCW Night I would, uh, I would have to I would have to assume that most people that listen to the show don't care about wrestling at all. So <laughs> all right. I don't think they care. <laughs> right. So yeah, patreon.com forward slash bang dang and uh, check out our YouTube bang dang network over there where you can see uh, previews of what you would get on 
Patreon as well as maybe some stuff you're not going to get anywhere else as well. Also, so, check out our OnlyFans. Lee Corey, OnlyFans coming soon. Um, <laughs> we'll be back next week for the great DB Cooper mystery. So, this dude. This dude. This dude. Even, mm. Crazy dude. Bourbon and soda. He he's like I ain't I'm done robbing banks or I don't know if he even robbed any banks. CB Cooper no. No, he's like I don't even want to rob banks. Do I want to do? I want to rob a train. I want to uh, a train that flies. I want to ride an air. I want to ride an air. I want to rob an air train. train. <laughs> I'm gonna take an air train. Uh-huh. We're we'll back next week with the Mouth of Michigan. Bang dang. Bang.